0: Welcome to the Employment Law and HR Podcast with your host, Alison Colley. Hello and welcome to the Employment Law and HR Podcast. I'm your host, Alison Colley. Thank you very much for tuning in to this week's episode of the podcast. It's great to have you back if you're a regular listener and if you're new to the podcast, welcome. This show is aimed at employers and HR professionals and we focus on employment law. And this week I'm going to be talking about gender equality in the workplace and positive action in light of the fact that it is International Women's Day this week. So I do have a lot to cover and therefore I will get into this week's featured content. (laughs) So, as I said, I'm going to be talking about gender equality in the workplace and within business generally, in light of the fact that it is going to be International Women's Day on Friday, the 8th of March. And this episode of the podcast will be going out hopefully on Tuesday, the 5th, and other, possibly early morning on Wednesday, the 6th of March. But in any event, the content is relevant all year round, and it is an issue that I feel very passionately about and which I've highlighted in articles and things I've written in the past but I thought it would be a good time to have a look at it generally and to talk through some things the reason being is that my view is sometimes I think people forget that there is this disparity between men and women in the workplace And they have a tendency to think, well, there isn't really an issue. What are you talking about? Or we've come a long way, which we have, let's be honest. But there are still huge disparities. And some of the things I'm going to highlight for you. And when I've been talking to male colleagues about gender equality and inequality in the workplace, I think It's easy for people to forget how recent, how much in our recent past, there have been some real significant changes for women where previously they had no access to, for example, the right to vote. Let's be honest, it's recent history that women have been allowed to vote versus men. And when it comes to work, I was doing a bit of research because this year is the hundred years since women have been allowed to enter the legal profession. So it wasn't until 1919 that women were allowed to actually practice as solicitors. And so it's a big anniversary this year. And it wasn't until 1922 that the first woman was actually admitted as a solicitor. So again, fairly recent past, in my view. There was also something called the marriage bar. Now, I hadn't heard about this until I was talking to a lady at a networking event, who explained how I can't remember if it was her or her mum or someone in her family had to give up their job because they got married. And then when I looked into it, I realised that actually there was this marriage bar in certain occupations where a woman was made to give up their job once they got married. And this marriage bar was only lifted and started to be lifted in 1944 onwards. And in fact, in the civil service... In general civil service it was still in place in 1946 and in the foreign service until 1973 would you believe so again only generations a couple of generations away really from where we're at now were women not allowed to continue to work after they got married and of course the first discrimination act was the sex discrimination act in 1975 which had the first real impact to bring into place the prohibition on discrimination on the basis of gender, so it's no wonder, really, if you think about it, it's only been around a hundred years or so since women have even had access in the same way as men to the workforce, particularly in various professions like my own. so it's no surprise really, that there is still work to be done when it comes to gender equality and I was really interested to read some statistics about the number of women who were involved in FTSE 100 and FTSE 350 companies, and I actually heard this comparison on a podcast, and then I looked it up, and there's an article on the Independent website about the numbers of women leading FTSE 100 companies, and out of 100 in March 2018 there were only seven women leading FTSE 100 companies. Now, you might think seven out of a 100, that's quite good. But actually, there are nine, nine men called Dave, who run FTSE, or David, (laughs) who run FTSE 100 companies. So there are more men named David running FTSE 100 companies than there are Women. And on the independent article, they actually talk about David and Steve. So there are nine Davids and four Steves running FTSE 100 companies versus seven women in total. And that statistic, therefore, is fairly shocking when you put it into that kind of context. There is an ongoing review uh, which has been supported by the government, which is called the Hampton Alexander Review. And this is a review of Uh, women in senior positions within FTSE companies and the recent statistics from November 2018 state that the number of women on boards in the FTSE 100 companies now exceeds 30 percent so not too bad I suppose and then of the FTSE 350 there were five out of the 350 had all male boards so not a single female on their board 75 of those only had one woman on the board, and 22 had women in chair roles, and 12 had women in CEO roles. So, leading the way in those FTSE 350, um, that's what 34 women out of 350. So, clearly a long way to go. And what I found most fascinating about the statistics and the outcome of this is published on the gov website, which I'll link to, and this has all come from the Department for Business, Energy, and Industrial Strategy, and that is the excuses or explanations for why there aren't more women on the boards of these FTSE companies. And so, I'll, as I say, I will link to it in the show notes, so you can go and have a look yourself. But I thought it was fairly indicative of the kind of attitudes that come up. The explanations include, I don't think women fit comfortably into the board environment. There aren't that many women with the right credentials and depth of experience to sit on the board. The issues covered are extremely complex. You can, you can probably um, picture me sitting here raising my eyebrows as I read this. Um, Most women don't want the hassle or pressure of sitting on a board. Shareholders just aren't interested in the makeup of the board, so why should we be? My other board colleagues wouldn't want to appoint a woman on our board. All the good women have already been snapped up. We have one woman already on the board, so we are done. It's someone else's turn. (laughs) There aren't any vacancies at the moment. If there were, I would think about appointing a woman. We need to build the pipeline from the bottom there just aren't enough senior women in this sector. I can't just appoint a woman because I want to. And (laughs) the business minister, Andrew Griffiths, is quoted on here as saying that it's shocking that some businesses think these pitiful and patronising excuses are acceptable reasons to keep women from the top jobs. Our most successful companies are those that champion diversity. And I couldn't agree more because it's proven that having a balanced board leads to success within a business, because there's a broader range of perspectives, there's different voices, there's different experience being brought to the boards. So I find it rather shocking that men who are leading companies in this country have such views still. And so it's no surprise, really, that discrimination and less favourable treatment is still taking place, um, much lower down the food chain, if you like, within companies. So what can you do within your organisation or your business to try to deal with the gender imbalance? If you want to take action, if you're inspired by those really terrible excuses or by the fact that it's International Women's Day or even if you have a daughter and you want them to be entering the workforce into a better environment for them, for example, then there are some things you can do. Now, people often talk about positive discrimination. And the fact is that it's generally unlawful to positively discriminate. So that is to say, to to treat somebody in a different way because of a protected characteristic. So you can't positively discriminate But what you can do as an organisation, as an employer, is to take positive action and there is a difference. Now positive action is covered by the Equality Act and it does enable you to take steps where certain protected characteristics are underrepresented for example or disproportionately low. So this would be where you identify within your organisation that there are not enough women and other protected characteristics such as disabilities or ethnic minorities who are being promoted or being taken through to senior levels within the organisation, then you can look at ways in which you can take positive action to try to readdress that balance. It is important if you are going to be looking at positive action to have some statistics and some strategy in place before you Undertake positive action steps so that you know exactly why you're doing it and you can justify the decisions that you make. And if you identify that there is a requirement to address any disadvantage or imbalance, then as long as the action you take is a proportionate means of achieving the aim, then you can put some steps in place. So, the relevant provision in the Equality Act for you is section 158 which applies to general positive action. And this says that it applies if a person, so you as employer, reasonably thinks that persons who share a protected characteristic suffer a disadvantage connected to the characteristic, persons who share a protected characteristic have needs that are different from the needs of persons who do not share it, or participation in an activity by persons who share a protected characteristic is disproportionately low. Therefore, the Equality Act does not prohibit you from taking any action which is a proportionate means of achieving the aim of a enabling or encouraging persons who share the protected characteristic to overcome or minimise that disadvantage, meeting those needs or enabling or encouraging persons who share the protected characteristics to participate in that activity. Section 159 covers recruitment and promotion and so this is where you can take positive action in relation to recruitment and promotion of of people within your business or organisation and it applies if you reasonably think, so that word reasonably again, that persons who share a protected characteristic suffer a disadvantage connected to that characteristic or participation in an activity by persons who share a protected characteristic is disproportionately low. And so you can help them to overcome or minimise that disadvantage or participate in that activity. Now, positive action in recruitment and promotion only applies if a candidate is as qualified as B to be recruited or promoted. So they're as qualified and you don't have a policy of treating persons who share the protected characteristic more favourably in connection with the recruitment or promotion than persons who do not share it. And taking the action in question is a proportionate means of achieving the aim that you're you're trying to, which is to overcome or minimise disadvantage or increase participation. So what does this mean in practice? So when it comes to general positive action, it could include such things as providing mentoring for women, it could be having specific networking events, or it could be providing additional support for women to increase their qualifications or to participate in activities that would help and assist their experience levels. With regards to positive action in recruitment and promotion, what you might be most interested to hear there is that it doesn't involve having a policy of treating somebody more favourably because of their protected characteristic. There is some exceptions in relation to disability but when it comes to gender equality, which we're talking about here, you can't have a blanket policy, for example, of always promoting women. But what you can do is, for example, try to increase the number of female applicants by tailoring your advertisements for women or putting them in places where women would apply. So you can't say that you only want women to apply unless there's a particular specific requirement that the occupation needs a woman. So you can't, for example, exclude all male applicants, but you can target your marketing specifically to women so that you increase the number of women who apply. And then you would apply the same criteria and selection and method of choosing the right candidate as you would otherwise. So there are some things you can do legally under the Equality Act if you are thinking of taking positive action within your organisation in relation to recruitment and promotion then I do recommend that you get some advice before you do so. Finally I'm just going to round off with some practical tips that you can put into place in your organisation to deal with the issue of the gender imbalance and I suppose equally it applies to other protected characteristics, but particularly here I'm talking about gender. The first thing is to track and measure within your organisation so that you have an understanding about the statistics. Now you may run an organisation that doesn't have a legal requirement to disclose the gender pay gap information, for example, but you may take a view that as an organisation that's something that's important to you and therefore you will track and measure it in the same way. Maybe not publish it unless you're really proud of your statistics um, but you know keep it for yourself so that you have an understanding about where the issues are. Monitor the numbers of people who are applying for job roles, monitor who's applying for promotions when they come up and just have a look at what the balance is in your organisation in terms of male and female in senior roles, leadership roles and that sort of thing. So really just track and measure is the first thing, sort of shine a spotlight on the issue and see where the problems are. The second thing you can do is that if you do want to increase the number of women in your organisation or profession or who are applying for particular job roles, then is to tailor and target your advertising and marketing to encourage women to apply. There are a number of reasons why women might not apply for a particular role and it could be the way that the advert is worded, could put them off straight away, it could be the images you use, it could be their perception of your organisation. So if you want to encourage more women to apply so you have a larger pool of candidates to choose from, then think about really targeting your marketing for those roles and how you're going to get in front of the people that you want to. Three is about mentoring. So encourage those women who are successful and leading the way in your organisation to offer mentoring to other women and to make your female leaders visible within the organisation to other members of staff. Now mentoring can also come from men and it's a good way of getting your male staff involved just as well as your female staff but um, oftentimes Women can sometimes feel intimidated by their male bosses and may not want to engage in the same way that they would with a female, but it's certainly something to consider. The fourth thing is about unconscious bias and addressing preconceived ideas, particularly in relation to your managers and the sort of board level and those people who are in charge. Start at the top, ensure that their unconscious bias and the things that they have picked up over the years aren't prejudicing the decisions that they make, and that this isn't in turn rubbing off onto the culture of the organisation. Unconscious bias is a fairly difficult concept to get your head around and to really unpick, but if you really want to get to the root of why there is an imbalance within your organisation, then addressing unconscious bias will do that. The fifth tip is to develop a strategy. And this flows from the first tip which is to track and measure and get the information about what's actually happening and then to develop a strategy from that as to what you want to achieve and then get buy-in from all levels of the organisation and publish that. Make sure that everybody knows what your intentions are and how you intend to behave as an organisation going forward. Number six is to ensure that all managers and senior staff have training on equality and diversity. Um, including how to be an inclusive employer and how to behave appropriately at all times whilst at work so that people have a good understanding of exactly what equality and diversity looks like. Tip number seven is to look at the culture within your business and see if it's one that would be encouraging to women, would enable women to feel that they can get on in your organisation and that you aren't putting barriers in place by, for example, creating a culture that means that you have to be at your desk for long hours, for example. I know that this is something that comes up in the legal profession quite a lot, and it's seen that if you're not at your desk for a hundred hours a week, that you are not going to be successful or that you're not going to be promotion material, for example. I actually encountered this previously myself, where there was this perception that if you worked only your core hours, then in some way you weren't as effective as you could be and therefore discouraged people with children, for example, from even applying for promotion because they knew that they would be looked upon unfavourably because they weren't there the whole time that the senior partner was, for example. Tip number eight is to ensure that you deal with complaints and unacceptable behaviours quickly and seriously. So if somebody does raise a complaint, for example, about sexual harassment or discrimination or even just unfavourable treatment by their manager and they believe it's as a result of the fact that they're a woman, you should ensure that it is dealt with quickly and seriously and that you don't tolerate those sorts of behaviours. If you don't, that can quickly spread within the organisation and cause significant damage to all the work you're trying to do and the relationships you're trying to build and the equality that you're trying to bring within your business. Tip number nine is to be proactive and to start to build the confidence of your staff in particular identifying female staff who have ambitions, who may be looking for promotion, who would need some encouragement and help to gain that confidence um, in their abilities It is well known that women are often less confident in the workplace and less sure of their abilities and less willing to take risks as a result and therefore would maybe less likely to apply for a job role because they don't want the risk of rejection. So identify those staff and take proactive steps to help them. And finally number 10 is something that you should be doing anyway which I recommend and that is to introduce a clear salary structure based on tangible measures Uh, that are set in advance and that are linked to performance and job role rather than being just based on who asks for a pay rise, who makes the most noise, that sort of thing. Because this can inadvertently impact on women who are known not to understand or recognise their wealth and may not ask for more money than a man and may not even ask for a promotion or a pay rise. So don't make it linked to what they ask for, but rather make it linked to tangible measures and a salary structure that's clear. So those were 10 tips for you on how you can practically make changes within your organisation. So to round off, as I said at the beginning. It is International Women's Day this coming Friday the 8th of March and therefore I would really love to hear what you're doing to mark International Women's Day, what your organisation is doing in terms of addressing gender inequality or any ideas that you may have that you wouldn't mind sharing with others. Uh, Best practice tips and hints you can either email them to me it's alison at realemploymentoradvice.co.uk or you can go on the website and leave a comment under the podcast episode. It's adviceforemployers.co.uk forward slash podcast forward slash 118. Please leave the messages there and then they'll be shared with everybody. Or as I say, alternatively, if you want to get in touch on a confidential basis, you can email me. I am really grateful to everybody who continues to listen and share the podcast. I do hope that you continue enjoying the content and that you find it useful. If you would like to show your appreciation and to help me out, I'd be grateful if you could leave a review wherever you listen to this podcast, be that an Apple iTunes or Spotify or anything like that. If you can leave me a review in there, then that's great. The second thing you could do is you could connect with me on LinkedIn. I'd love to hear from you and to maintain contact with you via LinkedIn. Or the third thing you can do is to leave a comment on the podcast episode or on the website with just your details and how you enjoy the podcast and what you like about it. I would be very grateful for any feedback, of course, as always, and any suggestions for the podcast. Thank you so much for listening. And I hope you have a great week and a fantastic International Women's Day. Thanks again for listening. Just want to finalise by saying I wouldn't be a lawyer unless I had a legal disclaimer. So I must just say to you, that the information in this podcast is for information only it's general review and a general update it's always necessary to get specific legal advice about your circumstances so please don't rely on anything that you've heard in this podcast but please do feel free to contact me if you'd like further information or specific advice